Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and it's all happening in the F1 Team Boss City season, with 40% of the grid changing its leadership. Vasserta Ferrari, Seidel to Sauber, a new boss at McLaren, and Capito out at Williams. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to untangle the seismic shifts in F1 leadership are Scott Mitchell-Mal and Mark Hughes. Well, Mark, having a nice, relaxed December day, not much going on? I thought I was going to, um, and then I got up and looked to see what had happened, and... Uh, yeah, well, hell had broken loose, hadn't it? I mean, we got a little taster of it last night with um, the Williams announcement, but um, the three announcements we've had today are unconnected to that, but very much intimately connected to each other. And uh, yeah, one triggered the next, which triggered the next, and uh, off we go again. It's unprecedented to have this much changing around of a team bosses. Sometimes, once in a while, you get this with drivers or you have days when a load of stuff goes on, like when Honda parted company with McLaren and then you had these staggered announcements. But this is something else, isn't it, Scott? Something we haven't seen before. Yeah, this is um, this is the sort of thing where it's uh, just... You, you, you know it's going to be one of those days where <laughs> um, F1 teams do this from time to time, especially when there are movements between... Um, between organizations where you know that there's going to be a staggered set of announcements um but obviously I, when when the williams thing happened on on monday evening i don't think you could have imagined that 24 hours later we'd be recording a podcast with 40 percent of the of the grid preparing to have a different person in charge next year so um yeah quite uh quite chaotic so much for the uh the quiet off season but um Given the way that the driver silly season went and the driver market went in 2022, I guess that the I guess the silly season had to have one final massive twist in store for us this year. Yeah, there's always going to be a sting in the tail, isn't it? The only surprise is that Fernando Alonso doesn't seem to be directly involved in any of this. But yeah, it is huge, and actually, pretty much any one of these four changes would have warranted a podcast in their own right. But because they've all happened in a flurry, we're going to do it in one big dense podcast there's going to be a lot to get into so let's let's dive into it Mark we spoke at length on the podcast earlier this month about Mattia Bonotto's departure as Ferrari team principal Frederick Vasseur was mentioned as a possible replacement what does he bring to the team Frederick's a very competent sort of uh, team principal at a, a smaller team we've we've seen that at, at Sauber um He's got a good rapport with uh, engineers. Um, he's generally well-liked and popular and still manages to organize things very well. Um, he will need all those qualities and more at, um, at, at the new job. Um, my concern is that 
he's not empowered enough, um, just as Mattia Bonotta wasn't empowered enough. And actually, in the change of job titles, um, so we've gone, Mattia Bonotto is was team principal and managing director of the team. And Vasseur is described as team principal and team manager. Um, so it suggests, I mean, shouldn't read too much into that, but it it's pointing in the direction of even less autonomy than Matteo had. Um, and I, I would think that the long-term structural problems that uh, need to be addressed there are not within Frederick's remit. That would be my concern. Um, I think short term, there's no reason why he won't get off to a good start. I think technically, the the team was on a good um, on a on, on a good improvement curve it, it, behind the scenes. Certainly with the power unit, um, I think the from what I'm hearing, they've got to the bottom of the um, the ERS reliability problem, and so they will be should have a very significant power boost next year to a, a power unit was already pretty good. And it's aerodynamically, you know, they're, they're on a good path as well. So the, technically, they might not, in the short term, feel much difference. But the underlying problems that are there are, are very much set um, from from up above, as we discussed in the Bonotto podcast. And, um, yeah, that would be my concern. I think Frederick's very competent and uh, is a good guy. But my concern would be that he, do, he won't have enough autonomy to really tackle the long-term problems there. That that job title difference is one of those subtle but potentially quite important ones, isn't it? What, what I mean, it's kind of hard to tell on the surface exactly what it suggests. My, my assumption is that someone like Wigner, who is obviously now a little bit more um, settled, shall we say, in the um, in the Ferrari CEO role maybe he'll come to be a bit more involved like Louis Camilleri was for example working with Mattia Bonotto and obviously Sergio Marchionne who seemed to be all things to all men inside Ferrari and just as hands-on as it's humanly possible to be I assume that with um with Fred being what is he general manager of the general manager in addition to the team principal um it's just a bit different than general manager by definition, kind of sounds a bit generic. Whereas what managing Bonotto, uh, Bonotto was managing director, wasn't he, of um, of the sporting division as well as team principal. So you you have to assume that that job title change is is done for a reason. And I I I totally get why if you hired someone like Fred, maybe you're not expecting him to be kind of like a big political heavyweight or anything like that and you want him to be in charge of just running the team making sure he's getting the best out of the people involved and just leaving a bit more of the sort of bigger picture stuff less less of the day-to-day more conceptual things to your CEO of the company perhaps but not really I'm not really convinced at all that that's what Ferrari needs one of the things that um I I just think is super sensible for them is I think I think they need someone who is on the on that CEO level who is basically responsible for running either the racing division or specifically the F1 division and you can have a team principal beneath that 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 could be your 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 Fred Vasseur just purely in the team boss role managing the day-to-day but you need someone who is going to shield the team from the board level stuff and have a proper say in the bigger picture conceptual things 
while having a grasp of what an F1 team needs. Now, Vigner as the F Ferrari CEO may come to be that person, but that that's something we'll only know know in time. I, I'm not I'm not exactly particularly com- confident or convinced that that's what will happen. Should we should we say? I think that job title change is indicative of something that might be a bit worse rather than a bit better in terms of that wider Ferrari cultural issue. It feels like they've gone almost the wrong way in that you needed a more powerful team boss really to be able to deal with all that and it's it's never that encouraging when those at the the kind of higher corporate level try and get more directly involved that rarely seems to work in F1 because F1 is so specialized and yeah Fred Vasseur very good at running a race team but the problem is wider when it comes to uh, to Ferrari but Mark we've got a address the, the the common impression that Charles Leclerc has maybe had a say in this. Obviously, he is their lead driver, no matter what they say about equal status, they have equal machinery. Leclerc is the guy at Ferrari with science, a really strong support act. Do you think that this is a Leclerc appointment? We know how much he gets on with Fred Vasseur. I don't think it in any way a proactive um, Leclerc initiative to get Freddie there. Um, I'm sure he was sounded out about the idea of it, and I'm sure he would have responded quite positively to it. But no, it's not some um, super, um, you know, <laughs> behind the scenes sort of um, story of, uh, of, of of intrigue and uh, dirty dirty deeds um, from one camp to, to oust the old boss and bring in his, his friend. It's a uh, I'm absolutely convinced there's nothing like that. But yes, he does have a good rapport with um, Freddie and um, I'm sure they, 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 that will, will will only help. And I guess the key question is really whether Ferrari does let Vasseur get on and do his job. He's going to find it very, very different politically to where he was with Sauber, isn't he, Scott? Because Finn Rousing is pretty non-interventionist in terms of his uh, ownership of the team. Obviously, Audi's getting involved there, but he bought the team effectively in the middle of 2016 and Vasseur has overseen this gradual recovery of a team that was really struggling financially. So do you think Vasseur will be able to play the politics? Obviously, Renault was a more political environment and he didn't really emerged from that in a particularly strong position. In fact, obviously, he left Renault, and it is the case that obviously the politics perhaps wasn't the strong point because he was there to try and run a race team. Yeah, there. there so I guess there are some similarities and some differences. The key difference being, obviously, that was that was Fred's first year in, in F1, wasn't it, after his stellar junior single-seater career in terms of running race teams in those championships and other... Um, initiatives that he was in charge of as um, as well with the ART concern and it's sort of sort of side projects and whatnot. Um, so he's a lot more experienced now. That that's um, that's certainly a different factor. I guess there is a parallel to be drawn in that at, at, at Renault he was just meant to be there to run the race team, but but got sidetracked or not sidetracked rather, but got sort of interfered with too much from from people above him. So I guess you could argue that there's potentially a risk of exactly the same thing happening at Ferrari, which is which is what's not needed at all. But I think the key difference is that the people above Fred at Ferrari are in a slightly different position to Cyril Abitable, who was the problematic person above Fred at, at Renault, really. Um, in actual fact, the way they had it at Renault was the sort of structure that Ferrari could benefit from. 
but with that executive director role or whatever it was that Cyril had, was meant to be the person who was protecting the race team from all the nonsense, not projecting a load of nonsense onto the race team. So I think at Renault, it was more about the other people that were around him and the way that political organisation was was set up. I don't think that was ever going to get the best out of him and it just became way too complicated and not at all a desirable scenario. Ferrari absolutely has the potential to go the same way, but it's not um, It's not a, a like for like. I, I think... I think the internal company politics are inevitable and they will be a key and defining factor in how good a job Vasseur does and is allowed to do there. But the other political angle as well is, um, is Fred going to be able to throw Ferrari's weight around? Because ultimately Ferrari is a very, very powerful political figure in the paddock itself. And obviously Sauber never had anything like as much clout as Ferrari, but Fred was never afraid to get a bit shouty, was he? He he was always quite happy to take a bit of a swipe at bigger teams, bigger characters, more established people. He was quite outspoken on a few key issues as well. So I, I, I think he's got a bit of that in his locker. It's just obviously a very different challenge when you're trying to do that on a much more sort of macro level, I suppose, with with Ferrari. You're not just fighting little fights here and there like you were at Sauber. I think you've you've got the chance to well not just the chance you've got a responsibility to um to really make your voice heard as ferrari in all sorts of negotiations from sporting regulations to technical and financial regulations bigger picture decisions stuff like the sprint races format changes that kind of stuff so is that the kind of thing that Vasseur's capable of really throwing himself into will he be will actually be in his mandate or will that be a, the sort of thing that a, a Vigna type actually is 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 more responsible for and will Vasseur basically be the uh, middleman between the Ferrari senior management and the the, the world of, of Formula One. Be really interesting to see how it plays out, but um, I, I I think he's in a better position to to tackle it than when he was at Renault, for example. But it, but it isn't the same scenario. It could work quite well in what you might call the paddock politics element of it, because he's got a good relationship with a lot of the other team bosses. Gets on well with Toto Wolff, obviously. That means there'll be a better relationship between Ferrari and Mercedes, because that's been strained ever since all the engine stuff, as we've known from what Toto Wolff has said. That's something that did drive a bit of a wedge between uh, between him and him and Bonotto, uh, shall we say. So on that level, it, it could work quite well perhaps a slightly more old school way of doing things but i guess i guess ultimately mark it comes down to whether he's just left to get on with it that's the key thing isn't it because we know fred Vasseur has a pretty good idea of how to run a race team he should have a honeymoon period because he's the he's the corporate appointment he's their choice rather than them inheriting someone who was who was uh, already put into that position so can he use that period to to really stamp his authority and make that promising start? Because obviously, if form on track is good, that buys you time to hopefully make the other gains. Yeah, I mean, he will be able to attend to the nuts and bolts um, details of how things within the race team are organised and um, sort of policies and, and processes. He will be very good at all that, and uh, that's something that the team will benefit from. But how far he can go in changing the culture there, it, that, that's going to be the, the key. And if he's not empowered from above to do that, I, I would think he's going to be fairly limited in what he can do, um, other than attending, as I said, to the, 
the nuts and bolts and who goes where and how things are done specifically. Um, so yeah, it de- depends how much ro- how much leeway he's been given in the role and uh, what size of task he is able to to take on if um, if he is given more scope. The one reservation I do have on the race team side is obviously Sauber in recent years hasn't exactly been the most unblemished team operationally. They have made mistakes. You know, if there's a team that's going to get in trouble for a member of the team personnel wandering around in front of a Haas team pit stop has had in, has happened in one of the late races. I think it was in Brazil that happened. You know, it's the team that tried to fit a tyre with no air onto, onto Antonio Giovinazzi's car last year. It has actually not quite delivered the results it should have done with the car pace, modest as it was at times, certainly last year and the, and the year before. So I do wonder how well suited his recent history is to the specific problems Ferrari has had. Do you think that that's a legitimate concern, Scott? Yeah, it's one of the things that I've um, I've mentioned before when we've talked about potential for for Vasir to, to go to Ferrari. Um in the the weakest parts I think of his his version of the Sauber team were, were very similar to the problems that have afflicted Ferrari not just this year but but in the past so but that could easily just speak to just how complicated it actually is in Formula One if you've got a team that does have inherent weaknesses within the organization it does take time to stamp them out um you could easily spin it as an argument for that's exactly why Bonotto shouldn't have been um, forced out the exit door because it's actually not that easy. If you've got, if you inherit a team that is just inherently quite weak when it comes to certain areas, how much as a, as one person, as the team boss, can you actually do? I would argue that actually, um, that the, it's difficult to judge for sure on specific items like that. I think, um, a big part of his, remit at Sauber was the wider um, expansion and rebuild of the team after obviously it it, it slipped into the doldrums through a lack of financial investment and I would say that in the last couple of years that has switched to getting the the most out of the, the, the car itself. That's not to say that obviously they should have been, it was okay for them to just not pay attention to the sporting side but I can understand why perhaps Fred's eye would have been on bigger things, shall we say, than um, sporting and operational things. That would have been down to the people that were already there at the team, people that he could trust to do a good job with. Unfortunately, as those weaknesses were already there, that's probably because the people that he had to leave in charge of that were also responsible for those weaknesses being there in the first place. So very... I share your um, scepticism in whether or not Fred Fred's Ferrari can 100% eliminate the weaknesses we've seen over the last couple of years. But the only thing I would say is that as a new person coming in, he does hopefully have a mandate to make the changes he sees are necessary. And hopefully the team buys into some changes because he's coming in with an external perspective. So let's be... Um, glass half full and optimistic about it and give him the chance but if you don't see evidence by the end of 2024 of these same problems being fixed then you have to start to question whether or not that's not a personality thing because then it would have been two different team principles in the modern era that have failed to get Ferrari to 
improve in those areas. So is there a more deep-rooted thing? And that's exactly what we've been talking about around Bonotto's exit. So that's why Vasio is actually quite, it's just quite interesting to have another F1 team boss in charge because it's a different character, a different different personality, someone with a different experience and different perspective coming into the same environment. If he gets exactly the same results or even worse, we have to slightly reappraise the job Bonotto did, don't we? Yeah, and it will be interesting to see someone with a, a different background coming in. He is what you might call a pure team boss, whereas Bonotto came up through a, a different pathway, but he does also have a, a kind of engineering background as well. And for anyone who might doubt Fred Visser, just look up the success of the ART and ASM teams in the junior ranks. Enormously successful team, so he knows how to run a racing team. And maybe you could argue that's what Ferrari needs to get the most out uh, out of the car. But certainly the political dimension is going to be the, the big challenge there. Well, there's lots more for us to talk about on the team principal merry-go-round. But first, a reminder for all those looking for a Christmas present for an F1 fan, or even a present for yourself perhaps, tickets are available for our first live podcast at Pod Live Sports, which is a sports podcast festival. This takes place on Sunday, February the 12th. It starts at 1.30pm, so sensible time in the afternoon. Won't take up your evening. A traditional F1 race slot, you might say. We have special guest Ted Kravitz on hand, and I'll be there too. And we'll even hang around after if you want to say hello. And that'll give you the chance to meet the famous Scott Mitchell-Malm for a selfie. How is your selfie game, Scott? Um, Getting better, mainly thanks to a bit of practice from uh, a few lovely people that we've seen over the course of the year that have inexplicably recognized us in the f1 paddock and asked for a for a quick picture which is um still something that baffles me um but is very very kind very much appreciated um the the support that we get is is pretty amazing so um i'd love to say that i'll be practicing between now and then but i think it's probably best that there are fewer photos of me in existence but i'm more than happy to uh to 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 have a, have a natter at this uh, at the the live show afterwards. I think it'll be really good, and it's always uh, it is always genuinely really nice to hear people that um, you know put the effort in to to listen to us and, f- and follow what we do. There are uh, the the market is quite saturated with options, so we are genuinely really really grateful that people do choose to to listen to us and put up with our nonsense. Yeah, I'm always baffled and then grateful when uh, when I'm approached because it always uh, always surprises me, but in a uh, in a good way. And tickets are selling fast, so make sure you head to the link in the description to snap up your tickets or you can search for Podlive and the Race F1 podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, Scott, let's move on to Andreas Seidel now. He's leaving McLaren to go to Sauber. That in itself isn't a surprise, but the timing very much is. So can you explain how this played out? Well, I think it is a surprise, actually, if you just looked at it from on the surface and in a short-term sense, because obviously it's a backward step for the person leading McLaren to join the team that finished behind them at the Constructors' Championship, doesn't have as much funding and has a lot more work to do than McLaren to, to, to achieve anything like it wants to in, in, in Formula 1. But obviously, he's not gone there to lead Sauber. He's not gone there to lead Alfa Romeo. He's gone there to head up 
the Audi works team in, in 2026. This is a long-term plan. He replaces Vasseur as CEO, but not as team principal. So this is a very, very large sort of overview job um, with a lot of responsibility, a clear step up for personally from what he had at, at McLaren. Um, so yeah, it does make um, it does make a lot of sense um, from a personal and professional point of view for him. I'm sure he'll enjoy being back in sort of mainland Europe rather than having to be in in, in Woking, much as working at McLaren was uh, clearly something that he did enjoy and believed in. Um, the timing of it, it sounds like the original expectation was that he would leave at the end of 2025. He made it very clear to McLaren earlier in the year, having spoken to CEO Zach Brown, that he intended to leave at the end of his contract at the end of 2025. Um, and it was obviously very, very clear that, that meant going to head up the the Audi works works team. Sider is someone who is well known to the Volkswagen Group. He headed the Porsche sports car project that had so much success in the WEC and and Le Mans 24 Hours. So um, it's sort of a bit of a homecoming of of sorts there. But he knows Sauber of old as well, having worked for that team at the start of his F1 career. I think at the, initially in the BMW um, BMW days and then just after. Um, so basically, Seidel made his decision. He would see out his McLaren contract and then make that decision. He and McLaren had a good working relationship, so we're happy to to keep that as the plan until the end of 2025 and, and, and see it out for the duration. I suspect Sauber and Audi would have come sniffing a bit sooner. I think they'd have been quite keen to sort of pay off, pay out whatever remains on his contract if they if they could. Um and get him in at the end of 23 or 24. Uh, but obvious, because obviously, like, Vasseur was there as Sauber CEO and team principal, but it was always obvious to us, wasn't it? As much as they claimed that... I remember Fred said, didn't he, in Mexico or something like that, that there's no reason to think that there'll be any changes or anything like this. It was just nonsense, because a manufacturer or any investor that comes in is going to want to imprint on the organisation. And so, so yeah, so Sider was identified as the as the target he was keen to go there but they were happy for it to to be a bit longer term and then when ferrari came sniffing around sauber for vasseur uh finn rousing the uh, the ultimately the owner of the the sauber entity saw an opportunity to get Seidel on board earlier so spoke to zach brown asked if it was possible they they, they did a bit of a negotiation i'm sure zach was able to identify his replacement for for Seidel, which will I'm sure we're about to come on to. Um, and once that was all in, aligned, they were happy to let uh, Seidel go early, which is why he's um, making the switch. I think he starts in early January. Um, as I say, he'll be CEO. So his first job there really is to find and appoint a team principal for Sauber. Um, and then I personally think that the second job not long after that should be to have a chat with his old friend Lando Norris and say to him, your uh, contract's up at the end of 2025, you should come and party with me here in Switzerland in 2026, and he sh- and they should make Norris the number one target for the Audi Works team. I think that is an absolute no-brainer. In fact, I think I've talked about that on the podcast before. Yeah, well, it's one step closer to your vision of what may happen occurring, but we might have to wait a while for that sort of thing to play out. But certainly, I imagine McLaren has done fairly well out of this financially, as Zach Brown said was possible to find a deal that was workable for both sides. And if you've got someone like Finn Rousing on the phone, a motivated buyer, shall we say, with means, you can probably come to quite a good arrangement. I think it's good that they've accelerated the process as well and and, uh, and got everything in, in place. But 
you'd have to say, Mark, this is very good for Sauber and Audi, isn't it? Because certainly from my perspective, they're almost the team that's done the best out of this this whole switch around because Seidel is not only hugely accomplished, but really he's probably the perfect guy in terms of his experience and who he's worked with in the past to play a key part in meshing the, the Sauber side and the Audi side in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, a few months ago, the speculation was that Audi was in negotiation with McLaren to, you know, to take over that team. Um, this is before they subsequently did the deal with Sauber. And it, it made perfect sense, partly because Seidel was already there and, you know, he was in situ and was so clearly the, the, the right guy for that, given his corporate background and his racing background. He, you know, but um, before Porsche, he was a BMW as well. Um, so... Yeah, they, 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 I think he's always been their target. He's always been their preferred man. Um, I'm sure he's been kept abreast of every every stage of uh, Audi's um, negotiations and their plans. So, uh, yeah, I think they, they, he's, he's a good guy to, to take that project forward. And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it's, it's McLaren have just they've they, they've lost his abilities, um, but they've got a a pretty competent uh, replacement in mind, and they'll have, as you say, picked up um, a handy check as a result of it. Yeah, and it's, it's important to note that although this has been presented as a as a partnership, this is not a Sauber Audi team. This is this is Sauber becoming. Audi, isn't it? That's going to be what we're seeing happening. And it's a little bit like the the old BMW Sauber team in a way, only for a new era of, of Formula One, should we say. So I think it's a huge positive for that project. Audi are very optimistic. They've talked about being competitive within three years of coming in in 2026 when they officially come in, but they've already started acquiring the team. They're going to have a majority stake in it. I'm not sure exactly the timescale of that playing out, but that process has started. So this is a huge boost for the the Audi credibility, isn't it? Not that they necessarily needed one because it's Audi. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It is, there's a big expectation upon Audi because just because it's it's Audi, you know, win, winner of all those Le Mans twenty four hour races. How many was it? Thirteen. Um, yeah, and it, the the expectation is very much that they're going to come in at a very very high technical level. And it's then just a question of, of getting the Formula One structure around that um, engineering base. And Sauber's just the route into that. And the guy to do that is is has now been identified. So yeah, it's 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 not it's not coming in to just be part of the game. It's coming in to be a an absolute front runner and, and to be fully competitive. It's 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 a hugely ambitious program and um, it'll be very well directed. And just to underline that credibility that, that Seidel's got, he's had success not just with Porsche, but with BMW when they came into the DTM in 2012 as well and were immediately successful. He's got a little bit of F1 experience back in the day with BMW as well, plus what he's done at McLaren. But we should briefly reflect on that McLaren side, Scott, because there will be those who say, well, look at McLaren's progress. They were third two years ago, fourth last year, fifth this year. That's not going in the right direction, is it? But... That's not really the metric by which we should judge what Seidel's done there. At least I don't think it is. No, um, he was uh, he was absolutely key to quite a big cultural change inside the team and setting up a structure and a and a way of working that enabled the team to actually 
get the most out of the various departments, pull, pull it together as, as one project rather than being a bit disjointed, having people point fingers. The blame culture at McLaren was apparently really, really bad and got increasingly terrible through the 2010s. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first sort of two or three years after Seidel joined saw quite a rapid turnaround in form. Obviously, technically, he had nothing to do with that because the 2019 car was a much better car than than the 2018 car. Um, and that had obviously been been designed and developed before he even arrived and before James Key arrived as technical director. So it's not it's not even so much about what they could do technically. It's just from an op- operational and sporting point of view, the quality of race team that, that they were and the environment that they created at, at Woking was was a lot better. Um, this year we have seen the um, the worst of the lingering technical limitations that they have. Um, McLaren, as I say, they don't like to point fingers anymore. If someone from outside McLaren wanted to lay the blame at anyone's door, then obviously James Key as technical director has to bear a huge amount of responsibility for the problems with this year's car from the reliability stuff at the beginning of the year to the fact that it, it was ultimately not a particularly quick or kind car to drive. Um, Seidel's not really responsible for that kind of limitation. What he was responsible for were bigger picture things like telling or, or you know you know pushing with Zach Brown to get the the simulator and the new wind tunnel greenlit by by the board and and have a long term plan in place. So Seidel was all about gearing up McLaren for 2024 and 2025 and beyond. That was going to be the the real end game for for Seidel's McLaren. Um, it was just the fact that he was able to snatch at some low hanging fruit in the interim and improve it and and improve its form. So they were always going to be the fourth team behind Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari, and probably were going to be in that position until twenty four or twenty five, and no earlier. It was disappointing that they slipped behind Alpine this year, but again, I don't really think that was Seidel's fault. So um, I think he did a great job at, at McLaren. I think he was absolutely the the team boss that they needed. And he was the reason that people like Lando Norris were willing to sign up longer term. So ultimately, this is a um, it's a big loss for, for for McLaren. But they've done a good job in um, in identifying who who should replace Seidel, and it's a familiar face to everybody behind the team. Well, Mark, we've already alluded to him, but let's talk about Seidel's replacements. Successor is probably the better word. Andrea Stella. Now, he's not a name that people will hear a huge amount of. F1 fans will have heard the name I'm sure but he's someone I've got quite a lot of time for I'm, he's, a, he's a very impressive engineer and team player etc what do you make of the decision to appoint him I think it's a terrific appointment um yeah you're right he's not at all um a profiler he's he's just he's in the background he doesn't um push himself into the foreground but um he's hugely respected within the team and when you talk to him you can see why he's just um He's got that knack of explaining extremely complex things um, in in a way that a, an interested layman can readily understand. Um, he's got uh, a, a nice way with him with people. Um, he's not just a nerdy engineer. He's a very good communicator. And I think he's been given a chance to spread his wings. And from everything I've seen so far, I don't think he will struggle in this new role at all. I think he will flourish in it. Yeah, and he's been a key part of what McLaren's been doing, including in that period when they realised everything really wasn't as good as they thought it was. 
when they switched to the Renault engine and it was that wake-up call, like, hang on a minute, it wasn't all Honda. There were some serious team problems here. And, and Stella was there. He joined the team basically with Fernando Alonso. He'd been Alonso's race engineer throughout Alonso's time at Ferrari. Alonso's still a big fan of Andrea Stella, so he must be doing something right to avoid <laughs> avoid putting Fernando Alonso off because he has, has high standards. So he's been a low-profile but key part of that McLaren revival that that kicked in really in, in 2018. So that immediate jump to the front of the midfield, Stella was a big part of. And as racing director or executive director racing, I think is his title, he was reporting directly to Seidel. So it was him and, and James Key, the technical director, were the kind of two key people on the car side at that level. Plus you've got the, the production head, et cetera, and the other heads of department. But he's somebody who's played a critical role. And, and you're right, when he talks about whether it's the car itself and the specifics of the car dynamics or the wider team, he always impresses with the fact that he's got a great command of the subject and what's going on. And you listen to him and kind of everything makes sense. Sometimes you speak to these people and you sort of think, I'm not completely convinced. Sometimes it's because they're not great communicators. Sometimes it's because they're not quite as in command of it as they should be. So I think that's what McLaren's getting. And I guess crucially, Mark, that continuity as well. Seidel set the ball rolling with all these big infrastructure changes. So it makes sense to have the person there who offers continuity and kind of let it play out over the coming years. Yeah, I think it will be seamless. I think it will be absolutely seamless. And um, the, the people there will, will, will not really notice any, any, any change. He's, um, I think um, he, he will develop in that role further. And hopefully as the team is growing in its its stature as it gets its all its new um, facilities online um he will be ready to you know spearhead the the, the next stage of its evolution and I, th- I think he's very well equipped to do that and scott we've made a, a case for why stella's such a good and obvious choice do you think there was any extent to which mclaren should have considered looking elsewhere for someone who could give the team that extra something or do you think for all the reasons we've been talking about it was just logical to to carry on this course i think given the progress that Ms. that mclaren's made over the last few seasons and the positive results that they've seen internally with the way that this axis of power has operated and obviously stella is part of that he was um, part of that leadership team that free person leadership team undersidal i think it makes absolute sense to have gone with an internal promotion I think it would have been I think it would have been tempting to to look elsewhere and see if there is a sort of blockbuster person you can bring in. No one's really jumping out at me as a as a known quantity in Formula 1, but you could have done some kind of statement signing by trying to get someone that's elsewhere in motorsport, maybe in the, not necessarily in the junior categories. Um but obviously in like Seidel coming in from a from a different discipline. Um, but why why do that when I I think the I think the fact that they've promoted from within shows two things. One is that strength in depth that that Zach talked about, and Stella is an absolutely excellent option with so much experience, and it it already sounds like it's been well received internally by uh, promoting him. Um, but the 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 second second factor is that I think it also shows that they really believed in the direction that they were heading, um, because you're 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 
going to be led by someone who really bought into that culture because they were a key part of implementing it. And so I think it makes a lot of sense. I think there'll be a lot of continuation to a degree, but Stella's got so much experience and has worked under so many bosses and worked with so many fantastic people in Formula One. He will have his own ideas on on how to imprint on the organisation and I've got, I've got no doubt that he also thinks there'll be things that he can do better than, than than Seidel did. So I think a show of internal faith, absolutely the right move for McLaren because they had someone in Stella who represented a valid, strong option. And that's why I don't think you see that at Ferrari or Williams, for example, because I don't really see... No one screams out at me there as someone who would be appointed and we'd all go, oh, that's just a very, very good hire, which is what Stella was. I, I, he wasn't on... When I was racking my brains trying to think of who it would be that could replace Seidel, his name didn't even come up. And then as soon as he was announced, I just thought, yeah, absolutely spot on. Yeah, had much the same reaction. I think he's a very, very logical choice. And for the team in that scenario, resisting the temptation to go for some huge outside name, you know, that plays quite well in the media for a, a day sometimes. But I think that would have indicates a lack of confidence in in what they're doing. Seidel was the the kind of star team principal a few years ago. He's done the big heavy lifting with the big projects and now it can be brought home and, and progressed as was under Stella. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. Is versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the Commuter Collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The Commuter Collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Well, Scott, before all the stuff we've already talked about kicked off, Williams announced the departure of CEO and team principal Jost Capito and technical director FX de Maison. It was a fairly perfunctory statement. So what has Williams actually said and how does it fit in with the rest of the team boss move shenanigans? Yeah, perfunctory is a, a good way of putting it. It's quite polite, isn't it? I, I would describe their statement as clear as mud. Um, which is um, a slightly less intelligent way of basically saying the same thing, I think. Um, the fact is, they didn't really um, 
they didn't really say an an awful lot. Um, th- there were there were a couple of hints in there um, regarding sort of the, the the nature of the exit. They mentioned Capito sort of putting off retirement to to lead the team, which definitely gave the air of um, oh he wasn't really in this, but um, you know he gave it a good go for someone who um, you know put off going and tending to his garden for a little bit longer so he could help us out. It, it, it I thought it sounded a bit um, a bit dismissive. So um, it is a murky situation. Um, the team said that Capito is stepping aside and that Demazon is, uh, that Demazon will leave his post. So there's no indication of a resignation, but there's equally no indication of mutual um, agreement to, to, to leave. There's no indication of the, a sacking. It, it's quite open to to interpretation um whether it's been a planned departure or they've been axed and initially i honestly thought it was clearly the latter that they'd been sacked um i i still believe that dorleton the team ownership decided that capito wasn't the right person to lead the team and i think that they at least had doubts about whether fx was the the right guy to lead the technical team i don't think they necessarily had tremendous faith in them as the the right people to to lead the team forward there are some different things that that have that has sort of been speculated in the last sort of 24 hours since it happened um reading between the lines it sounds a little bit like um capito and fx probably didn't like the what they were hearing from dorleton in terms of the a, a bit of a change in their approach to the team. There's been a lot of investment in the first two years and I think there's a good chance that that was going to be scaled back, which maybe didn't gel with what Capito and FX were going to try and build and, and what they were saying the team needed. But at the same time, I can absolutely see Dorothy being like, well, we've invested an absolute fortune over the last 18 months and while we didn't expect a stunning turnaround in the short term, you've done way worse than we would have imagined. And, and you're not the people that actually need to lead this team, especially if we're going to say you've got to do the best with what you got now because we've given you all the money that you asked for and you still haven't done a very good job with it. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that the gambles failed. You know, Capito, I thought, was a relatively sensible appointment and I thought actually had quite a high upside for Williams. FX was always going to be a gamble, someone that didn't know the intricacies of um, the technical side of Formula One, but was entrusted to build a sort of bigger technical structure and get the working culture and everything like that correct. Um, quite how much progress he really made on that, I've, I've no idea, because there do seem to be quite conflicting accounts of it. Capito and FX seem quite happy with the progress they, that, that they were making, and yet here they are having, having left. Um, something's clearly gone awry, because they would not have left two years into what was being constantly termed by both of them as a very long-term project with no sign of success really before probably 25, 26, that was being realistic. So something's gone, something's gone wrong. And I suspect something's gone wrong on both sides. Um, Exactly what has gone wrong and how much of it we'll actually discover might play out in the next few weeks, or it might be one of those things that we're left constantly wondering. It does seem to reflect there's a certain change of direction going on there. What do you make of it, Mark? Does this just reflect Doralton thinking the current management isn't right, or do you think there's a shift in their thinking in terms of what they're doing with the team? I think both. I think you've got to see it from a business perspective as well. Um, You've got a team with um, a very high cost base, uh, very few sponsors, and uh, an uncompetitive car that's not going to push them very far up the 
constructors table so uh, it's losing money um, and yes teams have a, a high nominal value under this franchise system that Liberty has established so I think um, Doralton has got to be sort of looking at the, the, the balance between those two things because of you know it's a it, it's an investment company it comes in it buys things to, to, to sell them later on at a profit um, but it you know you have to balance off how much you're investing to make that company more uh, attractive to a buyer with how much it's actually costing you to do that and I think um, they perhaps have realized that it's a longer term project than uh, that maybe they, they'd realized and that the, the the fruits of it were slower coming than perhaps they were anticipating and yeah if they've then said we're going to have to scale back on investment while we you know look for a a buyer to to sell at the price that we want to sell at then i can quite readily see them saying well what are we here for we were here to put in these the places for the the future to to build this team into to, you know into something more attractive um if that's not no longer the case then there's not necessarily much of a role there for them um that said um i would have expected this year's car the two of shot i mean williams has been bobbling along on the bottom of the the performance table for the last five years and it really reached its nadir in 2019 that was the year when they didn't even get the car ready in time for the beginning of testing and which was wasn't even the slowest car on the grid it was even a long way off the second slowest car um that was as bad as it got and then since then it's made a steady recovery but that recovery stalled with this year this this there was this year there was no improvement on the previous year in fact it went slightly in the wrong direction so it's not yet at a place where you say well it's a complete disaster but it's it's not on a trajectory that uh that you, you would say is encouraging it, it it raises question marks in itself so yeah I, i'm sure there were question marks all around i'm sure the question marks from dalton in terms of the leadership job that uh, Yost was doing and the, the, the technical leadership job that uh, FX was doing. And on the, the other, conversely, I'm sure they had um, real questions of how committed Doralton were and how useful a contribution they could make if uh, Doralton wasn't as committed as they thought they were going to be. Yeah, it does bring into question some of the plans that were kind of not formalised, but there was a desire to build a, a new factory on the current site to really upgrade those facilities that was never really green lighted but it, it's a bit troubling scott because yeah there is a high nominal value for the team so williams is an asset that would certainly interest some potential buyers whether they could meet the asking price is another matter but it's difficult isn't it because you've got pretty much all the other teams have got their house in order and they're working away on their plans they're upgrading where they need to so there's there's time being lost here and and if they want to sit there and, and wait for some big offer or whatever and they, they don't want to heavily invest that that's just going to lead to Williams certainly not making progress and if anything just just dropping further out of contention yeah they need to be really careful that they don't fall into a really dangerous limbo here where they they just end up sort of floating along for two or three years and everything just gets worse because then you you're you're wasting time in terms of the rebuild of the team um potentially just going two or three years further down the line of a flawed rebuild job as well 
the value of the team's not going to improve or um is certainly not going to increase if the results aren't um aren't, aren't any good and the potential of the team doesn't look particularly grand and there are there aren't the investments in there like if you if you can sell off a a, a nice shiny new factory alongside your F1 team as well i'm sure that would uh, boost the value quite nicely um and at the same time obviously you're just going to be racking up more and more debt i can totally imagine that that team is 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 losing dozens and dozens of millions a year um because as mark was saying it doesn't have a lot of sponsors it's not going to be getting a load of prize money so 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 where where's the revenue coming from versus the expenses so they've got to be careful because the whole point of um investing in in that team i i i think anyway was that medium to long term they wanted to sell it for a profit because they're in the business of making money not in the business of running formula 1 teams Donaldson. um and the sort of franchise era of formula 1 was meant to make f1 teams sellable assets uh, attractive profitable assets and yet they're in danger a couple of years in of turning one of those very valuable 10 franchises into just a massive, massive like black hole of money. So what they do here is really important. I get why they might want to sort of freeze or be more careful with their investments if they feel that they've been burned over the last 18 months and it's going a bit badly and they want to do a bit of a, they, they, they want to just get out as quickly as possible having made at least a profit on their initial investment. But they keep going the way they are and they're going to be in danger of um, needing a fire sale. And that's that would be a rubbish situation to be in when it's a seller's market to find yourself in that position potentially. Um, it, it it just doesn't look very good from a sporting point of view for the team, but also from a business point of view for the owner. So whatever they do next has to be really really shrewd. But I'm worried about the fact that they don't have or don't seem to have a team principal and technical director lined up, or at least not to a degree where they could announce it quite swiftly. I know that not every team has that, and the Ferrari announcement that we've had today has come a couple of weeks after Bonotto's actual resignation. So there is a an element there of that needing time. But if you look at like McLaren, for example, or 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 Sauber, they they were able to not only identify their targets but get them over the line. And it's worrying to me whether they've whether the ownership or the you know the board members have been caught out by Capito and FX leaving, or they're the ones that have pulled the trigger that they don't have the capacity to really communicate a clear plan. I think that's because they don't have one, and I think that's really really worrying for Williams long term. Any obvious candidates to come in and take up those key roles you can think of, Mark? I think it's going to have to be um, an internal promotion. Same as some, something similar to what McLaren had done. Um, I don't think you've got anybody of the um, the necessary caliber that would want to take on that job. And uh, you, you you could get a caretaker guy in. You could get an old experienced guy in, um, just to sort of get you get you through the the next season or so. But um, no, in terms of long term planning, I don't think uh, they. I don't think they're going to be in a position to be able to offer the, the sort of uh, financial rewards that you would need to get somebody of the the, the, the high calibre that would be needed. I think um, if they're scaling back on investments, they're just going to probably promote from within. Ala Andrea Stella, would someone like Dave Robson be, be a valid option? Yeah, I mean, he's one of the candidates. He seems to be a, a good, competent engineering guy, but, you, you know, you don't know what what the the role would be like the demands that that role would put upon you given the specific circumstances of that team uh, yeah I, I wouldn't be qualified to 
to hazard a guess at um, how good an appointment that would be. It would also be quite, it's quite important as well for them because they've obviously got to identify a technical director too. So it's not even like they're just trying to find one really, really good, good quality, experienced F1 person on the market. They've got to find two. And to me, it seems that they'll need, they need a proper company CEO. That That's the thing, you know, someone like Dave Robson as a kind of stellar style team principal. Yeah, there's the kind of necessary experience there should he want to do that. But there's nothing in his background that suggests he's a, a kind of CEO of a company that employs the number of people that, that Williams have got. That would be a very, very different job. And again, we use the phrase team principal, but it varies massively. Team principal is actually kind of a formal title. Every team has to have a designated team principal, but often it's a, it's a title that's that's kind of secondary to another underlying title. Jos Capito picked up the team principal title after Simon Roberts left, but he was CEO. And the same with a lot of the other people who are a team principal. Fred Vasseur, as we said, he's general manager and of Ferrari as well as the team principal. But either they need... Doralton to be more active in the way they're managing the team, which doesn't seem to be the way they work. Quite a difficult, impenetrable organisation, so that maybe. But you'd think they'd want to appoint someone who can carry the team forward in the way they want to. The key question is whether they want to keep investing and, and build up the team and realise the returns on it in the long term, or whether they want somebody who can kind of be a bit short term and facilitate the sale of the team. So yeah, interesting times for Williams. going to be very, very, very significant how they choose to to proceed from here given those vacancies but they need to be fast do you think they might um be able in any way to or be able to or tempted to try and convince someone like jensen to take it over in the short term because he's there as like some kind of like special senior advisor isn't he which i always thought was might have some might have some value to williams if they used it properly but I don't really feel like they ever did. I didn't really see any evidence of them really tapping into what he knew or his experience in, in F1, but I'm sure there was some stuff behind the scenes that they gained. But if you were trying to put a positive spin on this and you were going to try and make the team attractive and sort of keep its appeal up, then if you slapped a team principal only hat on Jensen and you just effectively wheeled him out, because I don't think he would necessarily have a grasp of the actual way of running a, a Formula 1 team properly... But if you had him in some, effectively had it, had the team principal as a ceremonial role, it, I mean, I, I, it feels ridiculous to even suggest it, but I genuinely don't see what legitimate options they have. Well, yeah, you could have him as a a kind of, yeah, a prestige team principal in that regard, but that still leaves you needing somebody to, to run the nuts and bolts of the company and be the CEO, doesn't it? I can't see Jensen Button being particularly interested in, in, in doing that, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Really interesting scenario. It may be that they've got the perfect appointment and they, they know what they're doing, but this is quite a crucial moment for this team and they can't just lean back and think, oh, F1 seems a notionally worth vast amounts of money in the current market. There's loads of buyers out there and just expect some vast sum of money to come their way to doing it. They need to be kind of active and take the right steps in terms of uh, of what they do with this with this team next. Well, thanks very much, Scott Mitchell, Malm and Mark Hughes for your insight. Huge amount for us to talk about there. And of course, there's lots on the race.com website. Don't forget the hyphen if you're heading there about this situation with the various team changes. And I'm sure we'll have news emerging about goings on in the coming weeks. Check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, which is moving into a new season very, very shortly. And our IndyCar podcast, our Formula E podcast, also our tech show with Gary Anderson. And also have a look at our YouTube channel. 
Well, as today's shown us, there's still lots going on in 2022 for the Grand Prix team, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.